Galatians 5:16 to 26 but i say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do but if you are led by the spirit you are not under the law now the works of the flesh are evident sexual immorality impurity sensuality idolatry sorcery enmity strife jealousy fits of anger rivalries dissensions divisions envy drunkenness orgies and things like this i warn you as i warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of god but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self control against such things are there is no law and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires if we live by the spirit let us also keep in step with the spirit let us not become conceited provoking one another envying one another good morning everyone if you don't know me my name is Eric I'm the pastor here at the Bridge Church it's great to be here with you this morning and if you're new This year we have been going through the story of the Bible as a church. And a couple weeks ago, we looked at this very important scene in the story of the Bible, the day of Pentecost. And on Pentecost, God sent the Holy Spirit to live inside his followers. The Holy Spirit is God who comes to live inside us when we trust in Jesus. And Pentecost was a crazy scene. There were people who were surrounded by flames and looked like they were on fire. And then these people started speaking in all these languages from all over the known world that none of them had ever known or spoken before. It caught the attention of all these thousands of bystanders who came together. The apostle Peter stood up and started preaching, and in one day, 3,000 people became Christians. It was incredible. And we saw from the story of Pentecost that God's story that's been going on through the entire Bible continues today which means that if we are followers of Jesus we are still part of that story we still have a job to do but the job is too big for us to do on our own that's why god sends the holy spirit to live inside his people so he can equip us to live the way that he calls us to and to do the job that he has given us to do but there's a big question about the holy spirit and his work that we didn't get around to a couple weeks ago which is How exactly does the Holy Spirit equip us to do that work that God calls us to? Like yeah, he's inside of us as we're Christ- if we're Christians, but what's he doing inside of us to help us live for God? And that's what we're going to look at today. And what we're going to see is that the Holy Spirit is a new operating system that transforms our hearts and actions. The Holy Spirit is a new operating system that transforms our hearts and actions. And we'll look at competing desires, life in the flesh, and life in the spirit. But first, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us. That you care about us, that you rescue us, that you come to live inside us to equip us so that we can live for you. Thank you that you've spoken to us in your word because you love us. And I pray that today we would be able to hear your word, hear how it speaks to our lives, and that we would trust you more deeply because of our time together today and love you more deeply because of this time. In Jesus name. Amen. 
So first up, we have competing desires. Today, we are in the book of Galatians. And Galatians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the churches in an area called Galatia, which is part of modern-day Turkey. And Paul had a really special relationship with these churches because he was the one who had started these churches. He went into these cities, started teaching the people about Jesus, and as they believed in Jesus, he gathered them together into a new church. And he would have taught them that God saves us by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, just like we were talking about last week. And during his time with them, he would have taught them as much as he possibly could about Jesus and what it means to follow Jesus before he moved on to the next town to start another new church there. And at some point after Paul left these churches, other people came to teach them even more about Jesus, which is great, right? You want people to keep teaching you about Jesus. The only problem is these new teachers were teaching something slightly different than Paul. These new teachers said like, yeah, Jesus is great, but if you really want to be the best Christian possible, you know what you need to do? You need to trust in Jesus and obey the Old Testament law. Now, if you were here last week, that probably sounds familiar to you because that was the whole issue they were discussing in last week's passage. And if you were here, you hopefully remember their decision was Jesus alone saves us. Circumcision and following the Old Testament law does nothing to add to that. Well, that's what was decided by the apostles. But for whatever reason, when these false teachers come to the churches in Galatia, their message really appeals to the Christians there. And several of the Christians in these churches start trying to obey the Old Testament law as intensely and perfectly as they possibly can. So the men were going out and getting circumcised. Like, how? That's that's some commitment, right? People started to follow the Old Testament, the Jewish dietary laws. People started to celebrate the Jewish festivals and holidays and looked down on people who didn't do that as less perfect Christians. And Paul somehow hears about what's happening in these churches, and he is absolutely shocked. And so he writes a letter to these churches to remind them of the gospel, this good news that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. And he spends chapter after chapter after chapter of this letter arguing with them and showing them that all their efforts to add to what Jesus has done, they're not just ineffective, they're counterproductive. They're actually getting in the way of true Christian maturity because Jesus gives us freedom if we're his people. He doesn't save us so that he can make us slaves to the law. No, he saves us so we can be free and love others. And today's passage contrasts a life that's, that's spent following Jesus with a life that's spent living under our own power. But understanding this context of the letter that it's written in is really important because in today's passage, Paul is describing lists of behavior that each of these lifestyles lead to. And without the context, it could look like Paul is saying, you know, if you want to be a Christian, do these things, don't do these things. But that's not at all what he's saying. What he's saying is it's not that doing these things gives us some sort of special access to God and his love. No, it's, it's rather these ways of living that he's going to describe to us are the results of either living under our own power or being transformed by God. 
It's not that these make God love us. It's this is what will happen when we experience God's love inside us. And he starts today's passage, Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26, by discussing competing desires. He starts by talking about two competing forces that are at work in the life of the Christian. He says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. So there are two competing forces at work in a Christian's life. They are opposed to one another. The first is what Paul calls the flesh. That doesn't mean your physical body. It means fallen human, our fallen humanity that's in rebellion against God. Like God made the physical world. He made it good. Having a body in, its, in and of itself is not a bad thing. But the problem is the flesh operates within our body, sort of like an operating system operates in a computer. So computers, you have the hardware. That's the physical thing that you can carry around, right? Like the, the thing you pick up and hold in your hands. And then there's the software, like the apps that run on that computer. But the, the operating system is this foundation level software that tells all the other software how to run within this hardware. And so on your computer, you probably have the operating system of either Windows or Mac OS. Most of you, probably, if you have a computer, those are what you would know for operating systems. And the type of operating system or OS that your computer is running on determines whether it's able to open different apps, how it runs those apps once they're open. Without an operating system to tell it how to run, your computer basically can function as a paperweight and not much more. You need that operating system to get everything else up and running. And the flesh is that low-level foundational programming inside us that we're born with, that shapes our desires and our emotions and our actions. It's our built-in OS from birth. It drives all the other thoughts and actions that we do. But the flesh has a problem. The problem is what Christians refer to as sin. It's, it's like a virus in the programming of flesh OS. It keeps flesh OS from operating properly. And therefore, when we operate under flesh OS, it leads to destructive behavior, which we'll look at more in a minute. Does that make sense so far? But Paul says if we're Christians, there's another operating system that's been loaded into us, spirit OS. And the spirit is God himself who comes to live inside of us, to guide us, to show us how to live as his people. And the spirit fights against the flesh to stop us from doing all the harmful, destructive things that the flesh wants to do. But here's the thing. On your computer, typically when you install a new operating system, it typically just replaces the old operating system. So I'm a Mac guy. I don't know whether you're Mac or Windows or whatever, but on Macs, they occasionally release new software updates. And when they release new updates to the operating system, I click a button, it downloads it, and then it automatically knows to stop running the old operating system because the new one is there. With the flesh and the spirit, getting the spirit doesn't stop the flesh from operating. Which means if you're a Christian, you actually have two competing operating systems at work inside of you at the same time, and they are fighting against one another. 
Life for Christians is war, not just with spiritual forces outside of us that oppose God, but first and foremost, with the forces inside ourselves that oppose God. Because every single day is a battle. And what Paul is calling us to do, if we're Christians, in this passage, he's calling for us to give spirit OS control over us so that we don't do what flesh OS wants. Paul is calling for us to give control to spirit OS so that we don't give control to flesh OS. But Paul has a huge surprise in how he tells us to do this. Because the false teachers in Galatia, the ones who are going around telling everyone you need to follow Jesus and the law, they would also say, we want to shut down flesh OS in people. Like that's why we're teaching them to follow the law, because this is a great tool for shutting down the flesh. But Paul, in today's passage, he's going to show us that for Christians, the law and trying to earn God's love through our obedience Really, it's just another program that's running under the power of Flesh OS. It's not fighting against Flesh OS, it's part of that broken system. Which means that the way to become free of the flesh is not to to try harder to obey the law. It's not trying harder to do better to improve ourselves. It's actually something totally disconnected from the law. Now, how does that work? I mean, have you ever thought about how real transformation happens in people on a, on a deep heart level? There was a, an American pastor back in the 1700s. His name is Jonathan Edwards. And he wrote a book called The Nature of True Virtue. And in this book, he explores this question of how does real transformation and heart change happen inside people? And in this book, he contrasts the traditional way that society teaches morals versus how the Bible looks at heart change. And he says, you know, the heart is broken. It's self-centered. It focuses on what it wants rather than on other people and loving them. It loves many things other than God. All the things that we've just been saying about flesh OS. But Edwards argues that traditional morality, the behavior we're taught in proper society, can't change or fix what's broken in the heart. So rather than trying to change or fix what's broken in the heart, it just tries to to co-opt the heart and trick the heart into doing things that are externally obedient. It can't change the sinful desires of our heart, so it uses those sinful desires to lead us to behavior that looks good on an external level. So, for example, lying is wrong. I think most of us would agree lying is wrong, right? Now, how does traditional morality teach us not to lie? It'll say things like, you know, you want people to like you. You want people to respect you. You want people to think you're a good person? Well, guess what? If you lie, people don't like liars. People don't respect liars. People don't think of liars as good people. And therefore, you should not lie. Now, I'm guessing most of us have been taught some type of obedience using this logic before, right? And my guess is that it's actually, like if you were taught not to lie in this way, it's probably helped you to avoid lying at some point, right? So if it actually helps us avoid lying, what's wrong with it? Why, why shouldn't we be doing this? What's wrong with the logic? Well, here's what's wrong with the logic. It's changed our external behavior, yes, but it hasn't actually changed our heart attitudes that drive that external behavior. It taught you not to lie, but your motivation for not lying is selfishness, not love for others or love for God. So what happens when telling the truth is actually going to make people think less of you? What happens when you really did mess up and people, if they learn about what you did, are going to lose respect for you, but you can get away with lying about it and no one's going to know. 
well, all your motivation for telling the truth just flew out the window, right? Because your heart has never been changed in this process. Your heart has just been co-opted and tied up so that you can pull certain strings and produce certain behaviors through it. Traditional morality can't change the attitudes and desires of our hearts that drive our other actions. And the law that these false teachers are telling the people in Galatia they need to obey It functions like traditional morality. It can tell us all the external behaviors you need to do to live properly, but it can't give us a heart that desires to do these things because we love others and we love God. A life that's spent trying to follow and obey the law is a life that's spent living under the power of flesh OS. In order to truly change our hearts, we need something deeper. We need a new operating system. That's why we need Spirit OS, because Spirit OS actually transforms our desires and our hearts. If we're led by the Spirit, Paul is saying, we don't just act honest in order to look good so we can selfishly think better of ourselves. No, if we're led by the Spirit, we actually want to be honest because we love God and we love others. And this type of of heart transformation, it's essential if our good moral behavior is going to hold up even when being good costs us deeply. Does that make sense? You with me so far? Yeah? So that's why as we look at the rest of the passage, it's going to talk about lots of behavioral stuff. Paul's point isn't do this so you can be a good Christian. No, it's, it's actually these are the results of your heart being ruled by this operating system or that one. And true transformation is only going to happen when we're living under the power of spirit OS. But first we're going to look at life in the flesh because Paul starts his description of what life under the power of each operating system looks like with the flesh. And his description of the flesh is quite dark. He says, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Because, you know, in case I missed a couple, just to catch all, anything along these lines is evidence that you're living under the power of flesh OS. And remember, the people that Paul is writing to right now, their problem is not that they're going out being crazy partiers and having no regard for what God says is right or wrong. The, the problem is they're trying through their own efforts to be good enough so they can add to and supplement the work of Jesus. These people would probably actually be offended by the very thought that they are capable of the actions that Paul is outlining right here, which makes what Paul is saying even more shocking, right? Because after spending several chapters reminding them of the gospel, reminding them of this good news that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, he warns them, if you continue to live the way that you've been living, if you continue trying to obey the law as a way of adding to what Jesus has done, what's going to happen is you're going to start doing things like being sexually immoral, having orgies, getting drunk, having angry fights with one another, and doing sorcery. Now, do you see the connection there? What's Paul's logic here? These people are not crazy partiers. They're people who are trying really hard to be good people. And he's warning them about really immoral behavior. But if you look at the Galatians, what you see is that their, their problem isn't that they're doing lots of bad things. You know, maybe they're in danger of being a little too full of themselves and looking down on others because of that. But how does he make this connection? It was because Paul realizes something about sin that most of us, I think, don't ever really think about. 
Paul realizes that sin isn't first and foremost something we do in our external actions. It's not first and foremost something we do in our external actions. It's first and foremost something we do on the inside in our hearts. At the most fundamental level, here's what sin is. It's loving the wrong things in the wrong ways. At the most fundamental level, sin is just loving the wrong things in the wrong ways. Here's a a picture of how this works. I love my wife, Justine, and I love yummy food. Now, the fact that we use the same word to describe those two things shows there's probably something really wrong with the English language, but we're using what we have. I love Justine, I love yummy food. And it's not bad for me to love yummy food. It's part of God's good creation. It's, it's appreciating the goodness of life in the world God made. And it's good for me to love Justine. God commands me to love my wife. But if we think about it on a scale of 10, like 10 is my most that I can possibly love anyone or anything, and zero is not loving it at all. My love for Justine should be about a 9.9 on that scale, you know, like space for God above her. But like, as high as I can be without being in that space for God. My love for yummy food should probably be about a three. And as long as my love for Justine stays way above my love for yummy food, I'm gonna treat her kindly. And I'm gonna be nice and understanding even if she serves me food that's not yummy. But let me tell you about something that happened in our house this week. By the way, Justine is a great cook. I'm not saying anything negative about her cooking in this story. But there was one night this week, she made a soup that wasn't my favorite for dinner. You know, it happens. She had been craving this soup. She knew it wouldn't be my favorite, but it was really healthy and she's a big fan of keeping me healthy. So she was looking forward to serving me this soup. And when she brought the soup out to the table, I looked at the soup, I tried a bite of the soup. It wasn't my favorite, but I said, wow, honey, you know, I really appreciate all the hard work you do to keep me and the family fed with delicious most of the time and and healthy meals each day. No, I did not say that. If I had said that, I would not be using this as my example right now, of course, right? No, I complained about how I didn't like the food. I acted entitled. I I acted like our two-year-old when he doesn't like the food, right? Now, what was my fundamental problem here? My fundamental problem is that my loves were out of order. I loved my right to eat yummy food more than I loved my wife in that moment. And since my loves were out of order, I began to see my wife as a barrier to the thing that I really loved and desired. And so rather than thanking her and expressing appreciation to her and showing love to her, I felt like it was the right thing to do in that moment to tear her down and belittle her and try to manipulate her into giving me what I wanted. See, all these external actions that I did that were clearly wrong came because the loves in my heart were out of order. And that's, that's what happens is when our loves are sorted properly, we, we treat the people around us properly. When our loves are out of order, we, we seek to love things and use people rather than love people and use things, right? And as humans made by God in his image, our most fundamental, deepest love in our hearts is always meant to be pointed towards God. As long as we keep that love for God at the top, top, and keep everything else properly sorted underneath, we're going to act in ways that are blessings to others and give life to others. But when we get that flipped around and put other things in that top place, that causes problems. And so when Paul talks here about the desires of the flesh, the word he uses in Greek means an excessive or extreme desire. It's something that is out of order. In and of itself, it's not necessarily about external behaviors. 
it, it can just be about loving ourselves and our way of doing things more than we love God and his way of doing things. It's an attitude of entitlement that feels, you know, I deserve the good things in life, rather than an attitude of appreciation that sees all of life as a good gift from God. And so for the Galatians, this desire showed itself not in going out and being just hedonists who pursue all the pleasure that they can possibly get. No, it showed itself in them trying to be extra, extra morally good because they wanted to look themselves in the mirror at the end of the day and feel that they had done something to contribute to and earn their salvation rather than just trusting God for it. But what's the problem with that? Well, when you do that, you're still operating with disordered loves. You're loving yourself, your ability to navigate life on your own power more than you love God and the grace that he gives. You're operating on flesh OS. And you know, the surface level behavior will look completely opposite, but the person who's living this way is operating under the same exact power as the person who says, forget trying to be good, I'm just gonna go have fun, whatever that may look like. If you have two people, one who tries to earn salvation through their own effort and one who totally disregards the rules and does whatever they want, on the surface, they look like polar opposites, but underneath they're not opposite. They, they're operating on the exact same operating system in their heart. They both run on flesh OS, which means that for both hearts at the end of the day, they don't believe God's way is best. They both think they can do a better job living life if they're left to their own ways and desires rather than having to submit to God's ways. And that means that it's not actually a huge jump for someone who's trying really, really hard to be a good person on their own power to just suddenly flip a switch and go out into the hardcore party scene with drunkenness and orgies and rage and sexual immorality because they're operating on the same power. The heart that drives that effort to be good is the same as the heart that drives that effort to just go have fun and ignore the rules. And even if they don't do this, even if they don't flip that switch, they're, they're focus on themselves and their effort to be good is going to lead them to treat others in terrible ways that destroy community. And so that's what life looks like when we're living under flesh OS. And just as a note, if there's someone here, you looked at this list and you're beating yourself up because you're like, oh man, Eric, you know, last week I was out with some friends, had too much to drink. I got drunk. Like, what does that mean for me? He says, people who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Does that mean I'm not a Christian? Well, the Christian life, it's a battle, like we've been saying. We all make mistakes. But when Paul says those who do such things here, he's not talking about one-off mistakes. He's talking about people who make a regular practice of doing these things. Like this is the standard way of life. He understands that Christians are going to fail. Christians are going to make mistakes. Making a mistake doesn't mean you're not a Christian. But the question is, when we make mistakes, are we relying on the power of our own flesh to fix it ourselves and staying stuck in those mistakes so that they become that pattern? Or are we turning back to Jesus to set us free? And maybe you're like, well, Eric, I actually do live some of these things as my normal practice. If that's the case, that could be, I'm not going to say definitively, but that could be a sign that you're actually not a Christian yet. But the good news is you don't have to stay that way. God is inviting you right now to stop trusting in yourself. He's inviting you to come to Jesus for forgiveness and a new start. He's offering to give you a new power to change your heart because your own effort cannot change or fix you. 
And Paul wants the Galatians to see, he wants us to see that trying to be our own saviors, trying to rely on ourselves to add to what Jesus did for us, it's a trap. It makes us look good on the outside, but it still leaves us functioning on a day-to-day level under this operating system that leads to death and destruction. And even if it's not showing right now, it will one day soon. Which is why Paul's solution for them is not just do better, try harder, you can get this, go you. No, he knows heart change doesn't work that way. What we need is not external behavior change. It's a new operating system that's running our hearts. Which brings us to our final point, life in the spirit. Because praise God, a new operating system is exactly what God gives us through Jesus. Everyone who trusts in Jesus is given the Holy Spirit so that we can live under the power of a new operating system. And Paul tells us in verses 22 and 23 what our lives will look like when we're living under this power. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And just, I know I've said this a bunch of times today, but really important reminder, he's not saying you do these things to make God really love you. He's not saying like, hey, look, you guys are trying to earn salvation through circumcision. You got the wrong list. Here's a better list. Just do this and you're all set. No, 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 no. He's calling these things fruit, which is a really significant picture that has three huge implications for us. First, healthy fruit doesn't make a tree healthy. It merely reveals whether the tree already is healthy, right? Like if, if you have a tree out in your yard, say that you live somewhere where you have a yard. I know you have to use your imaginations from Hong Kong. But if you live somewhere with a yard and you have a fruit tree in your yard and you look out the window and you see that all the fruit growing on that tree is rotten, you don't say, hey, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go down to the store. Let's say it's an apple tree. I'm going to buy a big box of nice, fresh, juicy, shiny apples. I'm going to come back home. I'm going to rip off all the dead fruit. I'm going to staple on all these shiny fruits. No, that would be silly. That would be stupid because what's going to happen to the new fruit? It's just going to start rotting too because it's not actually connected to the root system. The, the tree itself, the root system inside the tree is the problem, not what the fruit looks like on the outside. The fruit only looks bad because the tree itself is bad. When you see a problem with the tree's fruit, you check out what's going on at a deeper level down by the roots. Are they getting enough nutrition? Are they rotting? Do they need to be fertilized? Do they need to be maybe uprooted so that a healthier tree can be planted in their place? Which means if all these behaviors that Paul's listing here are fruit, these external things are impossible in our lives apart from true heart change, apart from a true transition from flesh OS to spirit OS. We cannot produce these things through our own effort and power. They'll only start to grow in our lives if we've made that transition from flesh OS, from relying on our own power and our own wisdom for change, if we've uprooted that system and spirit OS has been planted in its place and we've learned to completely rely on God's grace for transformation. Which brings us to the second big, huge implication of this fruit picture, which is unless all of them are present, none of them are real. Unless all of them are present, none of them are real. And you may be thinking, now where are you getting that, Eric? And here's where. The word fruit in this verse 22 is singular. One fruit, not many fruits, one fruit. Paul isn't saying here's a bunch of different behaviors that may show up 
if you have the Holy Spirit in your life. He's saying this collectively is what life under the power of Spirit OS looks like. And here's what that means. This is really challenging for, for all of us, I think. None of the virtuous behaviors on this list are genuine unless all of them are present to some degree. But wait, Eric, what about my friend who's like really, really gentle, like the most gentle person you'll ever meet, but, but maybe doesn't have enough love to confront people when they need to be confronted? How can you say that their gentleness is not genuinely from God? Well, I think what Paul's saying is that if you have gentleness without love, your gentleness is actually a coping mechanism. It's a way of rigging flesh OS to, to show a certain thing on the outside without actually needing heart change. What appears on the surface to be this fruit of gentleness, it's actually a deep fear of conflict. And so you've manipulated your circumstances and the way that you respond to things so that you can avoid conflict. Acting gentle in some cases lets you avoid conflict. Avoiding confronting people helps you avoid conflict. But actually the thing that's driving your heart is not love for others through the Holy Spirit. It's just the desire to avoid conflict. Because if it was genuine fruit of the Spirit, it would be paired with love. Or one more example, maybe you've met someone before who's patient but not kind. You know, like maybe they're at the office, someone has some type of assignment that's due to them, and the person's running late, and they're like, you know what, I'll give you an extension. It's a really generous extension for how long they have to give you that assignment. But then this person walks around the office and just complains to everyone about how lazy this person is who didn't get their work done, how terrible of an employee they are. What Paul's saying is true patience, it's always gonna come alongside of kindness and love. Patience that appears alongside bitterness and complaining, it's a result of flesh OS pulling certain strings to produce certain behavior in our hearts without our hearts actually being changed. Unless all of these fruits are present, none of them are genuine. Does anyone feel overwhelmed by that? It's a little, it's a little bit of a tall order, right? Well, that brings us to our third implication, which is good news for you. The fact that they're fruit means they take time to grow. I grew up across the street from an apple orchard. Did you know that when you plant a new apple tree, it takes about five to eight years before it produces a full harvest? It's a long time. And even when it is mature and producing a full harvest, the fruit doesn't grow overnight. No, each year in the spring, the trees blossom and flowers grow on them. And then the flowers fall off and a small fruit starts to grow, but it's too small, you can't even hardly see that it's there. And it grows and grows and grows. And from the time that flower first arrives to the time that there's a fruit that you can actually eat, it's like four or five months. It takes a long time for fruit to grow. So what does that mean for us? Well, it means if the fruit is growing in our lives slower than we like, it doesn't mean something's wrong. It doesn't mean we're extra broken. It doesn't mean God's system has failed us. It just means we're growing fruit and fruit always takes time to grow. I think it's kind of ironic, but I think the slowness of how long it takes for the fruit to grow in our lives might be one of God's great tools for teaching us the fruit of patience, right? Like he, he just built it into the system to teach us how to do this through the way that it operates. And I realize in our world of, of iPhones and 5G in our pockets, slow stuff frustrates us. But the fact that God is growing fruit in us means that we're invited to celebrate even the smallest instances of growth. If you're a Christian, each tiny little bud of kindness, each baby fruit of self-control, 
It's another chance to celebrate the fact that God is at work in you. He hasn't given up on you. He hasn't abandoned you. And if God's at work in you, he's gonna see your growth through to the end. I I know an Australian pastor, he says, the process of changing a human being into the image of Jesus is a process that takes about 70 years. So if the fruit is taking a little longer in your life than you'd like it to take, don't give up because God isn't giving up on you. He's patient with us. So hopefully that can give us freedom to be patient with ourselves. And remember, having spirit OS doesn't delete flesh OS from our system. If you're a Christian, each day is going to be a battle. Having each day be a battle doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. It means you're doing something right. And there are going to be days where you revert back to starting to rely more and more on flesh OS. That doesn't mean you're not a Christian. It just means there's more room for you to grow. God's mercies are new every morning. He's inviting us each day to rely on him and become more like Jesus, to become people who bear more fruit and live in ways that are a blessing to God and the people around us. But we don't do that through our own effort. We don't do that through trying harder to do better. It it happens as we learn to follow Jesus, to trust him, to see his goodness, to rely on the Holy Spirit to guide us. So let us be people who are doing that each day this week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that, that you come and do for us what we cannot do for ourselves in changing our hearts. God, we need this heart transformation. I pray that you would help us to rely on you more each day so that we can experience this real transformation in our hearts that's driven by love for you and love for others and not just a desire for self-preservation. Forgive us for the times that we faked good action on the outside but avoided that true change on the inside. Make us people who rely on you each day so we can be the people you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.